Section 21 of The Essence of Christianity by Ludwig Feuerbach. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Essence of Christianity by Ludwig Feuerbach. Translated from the German by Marian Evans. Chapter 17. The Significance of Voluntary Celibacy and Monachism The idea of man as a species, and with it the significance of life of the species, of humanity as a whole, vanished as Christianity became dominant. Herein we have a new confirmation of the position advanced that Christianity does not contain within itself the principle of culture. Where man immediately identifies the species with the individual, and posits this identity as his highest being, as God, where the idea of humanity is thus an object to him only as the man has all in himself, all in his God, consequently he has no need to supply his own deficiencies by others, as the representatives of the species, or by the contemplation of the world generally. And this need is alone the spring of all culture. The individual man attains his end by himself alone. He attains it in God. God is himself the attained goal, the realized highest aim of humanity. But God is present to each individual separately. God only is the want of the Christian. Others, the human race, the world, are not necessary to him. He is not the inward need of others. God fills to me the place of the species, of my fellow men. Yes, when I turn away from the world, when I am in isolation, I first truly feel my need of God. I first have a lively sense of his presence. I first feel what God is and what he ought to be to me. It is true that the religious man has need also of fellowship, of edification in common, but this need of others is always in itself something extremely subordinate. The salvation of the soul is the fundamental idea, the main point in Christianity, and this salvation lies only in God, only in the concentration of the mind on Him. Activity for others is required, is a condition of salvation, but the ground of salvation is God, immediate reference in all things to God. And even activity for others has only a religious significance, has reference only to God as its motive and end, is essentially only an activity for God, for the glorifying of his name, for the spreading abroad of his praise. But God is absolute subjectivity, subjectivity separated from the world, above the world, set free from matter, severed from the life of the species, and therefore from the distinction of sex. Separation from the world, from matter, from the life of the species, is therefore the essential aim of Christianity. And this aim had its visible, practical realization in monachism. It is a self-delusion to attempt to derive monachism from the East. At least if this derivation is to be accepted, 
they who maintain it should be consistent enough to derive the opposite tendency of christendom not from christianity but from the spirit of the western nations the occidental nature in general but how in that case shall we explain the monastic enthusiasm of the west monachism must rather be derived directly from christianity itself it was necessary consequence of the belief in heaven promised to mankind by christianity where the heavenly life is a truth the earthly life is a lie where imagination is all reality is nothing to him who believes in an eternal life the present life loses its value or rather it has already lost its value belief in the heavenly life is belief in the worthlessness and nothingness of this life i cannot represent to myself the future life without longing for it without casting down a look of compassion or contempt on this pitiable earthly life and the heavenly life can be no object no law of faith without at the same time being a law of morality it must determine my actions at least if my life is to be in accordance with my faith i ought not to cleave to the transitory things of this earth i ought not but neither do i wish for what are all things here below compared with the glory of the heavenly life it is true that the quality of that life depends on the quality the moral condition of this but morality is itself determined by the faith in eternal life the morality corresponding to the superterrestrial life is simply separation from the world the negation of this life and the practical attestation of this spiritual separation in the monastic life everything must ultimately take an external form must present itself to the senses an inward disposition must become an outward practice the life of the cloister indeed ascetic life in general is the heavenly life as it is realized and can be realized here below if my soul belongs to heaven ought i nay can i belong to the earth with my body the soul animates the body but if the soul is in heaven the body is forsaken dead and thus the medium the organ of connection between the world and the soul is annihilated death the separation of the soul from the body at least from this gross material sinful body is the entrance into heaven but if death is the condition of blessedness and moral perfection then necessarily mortification is the one law of morality moral death is the necessary anticipation of natural death i say necessary for it would be extreme of immortality to attribute the obtaining of heaven to physical death which is no moral act but a natural one common to man and the brute death must therefore be exalted into a moral a spontaneous act i die daily says the apostle and this dictum saint anthony the founder of monachism made the theme of his life 
but christianity it is contended demanded only a spiritual freedom true but what is that spiritual freedom which does not pass into action which does not attest itself in practice or dost thou believe that it only depends on thyself on thy will on thy intention whether thou be free from anything if so thou art greatly in error page and hast never experienced what it is to be truly made free so long as thou art in a given rank profession or relation so long art thou willingly or not determined by it thy will thy determination frees thee only from conscious limitations and impressions not from the unconscious ones which lie in the nature of the case thus we do not feel at home we are under the constraint so long as we are not locally physically separated from one with whom we have inwardly broken external freedom is alone the full truth of spiritual freedom a man who has really lost spiritual interest in earthly treasures soon throws them out at window for his heart may be thoroughly at liberty what i no longer possess by inclination is a burden to me so away with it what affection has let go the hand no longer holds fast only affection gives force to the grasp only affection makes possession sacred he who having a wife is as though he had her not will do better to have no wife at all to have as though one had not is to have without the disposition to have is in truth not to have and therefore he who says that one ought to have a thing as though one had it not merely says in a subtle covert cautious way that one ought not have it at all that which i dismiss from my heart is no longer mine it is free as air saint anthony took the resolution to renounce the world when he had once heard the saying if thou wilt be perfect go thy way sell that thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me st anthony gave the only true interpretation of this text he went his way he sold his possessions and gave the proceeds to the poor only thus did he prove his spiritual freedom from the treasures of the world such freedom such truth is certainly in contradiction with the christianity of the present day according to which the lord has required only a spiritual freedom i e a freedom which demands no sacrifice no energy an illusory self-deceptive freedom a freedom from earthly good which consists in its possession and enjoyment for certainly the lord said my yoke is easy how harsh how unreasonable would christianity be if it exacted from man the renunciation of earthly riches then assuredly christianity would not be suited to this world so far from this christianity is in the highest degree practical and judicious it defers the freeing oneself from the wealth and the pleasures of this world 
to the moment of natural death. Monkish mortification is an unchristian suicide. And allots to our spontaneous activity the acquisition and enjoyment of earthly possessions. Genuine Christians do not indeed doubt the truth of the heavenly life, God forbid. Therein they still agree with the ancient monks, but they await that life patiently, submissive to the will of God, i.e., to their own selfishness, to the agreeable pursuit of worldly enjoyment. But I turn away with loathing and contempt from modern Christianity, in which the bride of Christ readily acquiesces in polygamy, at least in successive polygamy, and this in the eyes of the true Christian does not essentially differ from contemporaneous polygamy. But yet, at the same time, oh, shameful hypocrisy, swears by the eternal, universally binding, irrefragable, sacred truth of God's word. I turn back with reverence to the misconceived truth of the chaste monastic cell, where the soul betrothed to heaven did not allow itself to be wooed into faithlessness by a strange earthly body. The unworldly supernatural life is essentially also an unmarried life. The celibate lies already, though not in the form of a law, in the inmost nature of Christianity. This is sufficiently declared in the supernatural origin of the Savior, a doctrine in which unspotted virginity is hallowed as the saving principle, as the principle of the new, the Christian world. Let not such passages as, Be fruitful and multiply, or, What God has joined together, let not man put asunder, be urged as a sanction of marriage. The first passage relates, as Tertullian and Jerome have already observed, only to the unpeopled earth, not to the earth when filled with men, only to the beginning, not to the end of the world, an end which was initiated by the immediate appearance of God upon the earth. And the second also refers only to marriage as an institution of the Old Testament. Certain Jews proposed the question whether it were lawful for a man to separate from his wife. And the most appropriate way of dealing with this question was the answer above cited. He who has once concluded a marriage ought to hold it sacred. Marriage is intrinsically an indulgence to the weakness, or rather the strength of the flesh, an evil which therefore must be restricted as much as possible. The indissolubleness of marriage is a nimbus, a sacred irradiance, which expresses precisely the opposite of what minds, dazzled and perturbed by its luster, seek beneath it. Marriage in itself is, in the sense of perfected Christianity, a sin, or rather a weakness, which is permitted and forgiven thee only on the condition that thou forever limitest thyself to a single wife. In short, marriage is hallowed only in the Old Testament, but not in the New. The New Testament knows a higher, a supernatural principle, the mystery of unspotted virginity. He who can receive it, let him receive it. 
the children of this world marry and are given in marriage but they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage neither can they die any more for they are equal unto the angels and are the children of god being the children of the resurrection thus in heaven there is no marriage the principle of sexual love is excluded from heaven as an earthly worldly principle but the heavenly life is the true perfected eternal life of the christian why then should i who am destined for heaven form a tie which is unloosed in my true destination why should i who am potentially a heavenly being not realize this possibility even here marriage is already proscribed for my mind my heart since it is expelled from heaven the essential object of my faith hope and life how can an earthly wife have a place in my heaven-filled heart how can i divide my heart between god and man the christian's love to god is not an abstract or general love such as the love of truth of justice of science it is a love to a subjective personal god and is therefore a subjective personal love it is an essential attribute of this love that it is an exclusive jealous love for its object is a personal and at the same time the highest being to whom no other can be compared now quoting at length from thomas akempis keep close to jesus at jesus christ is the christian's god in life and in death trust his faithfulness he alone can help thee when all else leaves thee thy beloved has this duality that he will suffer no rival he alone will have thy heart will rule alone in thy soul as a king on his throne what can the world profit thee without jesus to be without christ is the pain of hell to be with christ heavenly sweetness thou canst not live without a friend but if the friendship of christ is not more than all else to thee thou wilt be beyond measure sad and disconsolate love everything for jesus' sake but jesus for his own sake jesus christ alone is worthy to be loved my god my love my heart thou art wholly mine and i am wholly thine love hopes and trusts ever in god even when god is not gracious to it or tastes bitter non sapit for we cannot live in love without sorrow for the sake of the beloved the loving one must accept all things even the hard and the bitter my god and my all in thy presence everything is sweet to me in thy presence everything is distasteful without thee nothing can please me oh when at last will that blessed long for hour appear when thou wilt satisfy me wholly and be all in all to me so long as this is not granted me my joy is only fragmentary when was it well with me without thee or when was it ill with me in thy presence i will rather be poor for thy sake than rich without thee i will rather be a pilgrim on the earth with thee than the possessor of heaven without thee where thou art is heaven death and hell where thou art not i long only for thee thou canst not serve god and at the same time have thy joys in earthly things 
thou must wean thyself from all acquaintances and friends and sever thy soul from all temporal consolation believers in christ should regard themselves according to the admonition of the apostle peter only as strangers and pilgrims on the earth thus love to god as a personal being is a literal strict personal exclusive love how then can i at once love god and a mortal wife do i not thereby place god on the same footing with my wife no to a soul which truly loves god the love of a woman is an impossibility is adultery he that is unmarried says the apostle paul careth for the things that belong to the lord how he may please the lord but he that is married careth for the things that are of the world how he may please his wife the true christian not only feels no need of culture because this is a worldly principle and opposed to feeling he also has no need of natural love god supplies to him the want of culture and in like manner god supplies to him the want of love of a wife of a family the christian immediately identifies the species with the individual hence he strips off the difference of sex as burdensome accidental adjunct man and woman together first constitute the true man man and woman together are the existence of the race for their union is the source of multiplicity the source of other men hence the man who does not deny his manhood is conscious that he is only a part of a being which needs another part for the making up of the whole of true humanity the christian on the contrary in his excessive transcendental subjectivity conceives that he is by himself a perfect being but the sexual instinct runs counter to this view it is in contradiction with this ideal the christian must therefore deny this instinct the christian certainly experienced the need of sexual love but only as a need in contradiction with his heavenly destination and merely natural in the depreciatory contemptuous sense which this word had in christianity not as a moral inward need not if i may so express myself as a metaphysical i e an essential need which man can experience only where he does not separate difference of sex from himself but on the contrary regards it as belonging to his inmost nature hence marriage is not wholly in christianity at least it is so only apparently elusively for the natural principle of marriage which is the love of the sexes however civil marriage may in endless instances contradict this is in christianity an unholy thing and excluded from heaven but that which man excludes from heaven he excludes from his true nature heaven is the treasure casket believe not in what he establishes on earth what he permits and sanctions here here he must accommodate himself here many things come athwart him which do not fit into his system here he shuns thy glance for he finds himself among strangers who intimidate him but watch for him when he throws off his incognito and shows himself in his true dignity his heavenly state in heaven 
he speaks as he thinks. There thou hearest his true opinion. Where his heaven is, there is his heart. Heaven is his heart laid open. Heaven is nothing but the idea of the true, the good, the valid, of that which ought to be. Earth, nothing but the idea of the untrue, the unlawful, of that which ought not to be. The Christian excludes from heaven the life of the species. There the species ceases. There dwell only pure, sexless individuals, spirits. There absolute subjectivity reigns. Thus the Christian excludes the life of the species from his conception of the true life. He pronounces the principle of marriage sinful, negative, for the sinless positive life is the heavenly one. End of section 21